Here we go! Welcome to the Nintendo Power Zone. We are a video cast slash podcast dedicated to bringing you the best Nintendo related podcast. I'm your host, Nice One, and I'm joined by my co host, Blues. Welcome back to the show. Always good to be here. All right. And you know what? We're back to our original branding after our first ever April Fool's Day prank. And I'm not going to lie, I had so much fun with that April Fool's Day episode that I kind of want to make it a permanent fixture, but kind of low key, you know? Anyway, enough of that. We have a decent little show for you guys today. Uh, so what we're going to talk about is all over the place, but these are really fun topics. We're going to be revisiting a few topics, which really gets me going because the excitement level I have for a lot of these topics is just off the chains. So without further ado, let's just go ahead and jump into the Powered Up news. So we got some more information about the Daniel Arsham, uh, the, the urban artist who makes sculptures, and his collaboration with Pokemon, well, it looks like that that collaboration is being extended even further with the streetwear brand Uniqlo, one of my favorite clothing brands of all time. Uh, I'm wearing one of their shirts right now. This is from their Street Fighter series that came out two years ago. Uniqlo has some really high-quality clothes. I've had this shirt for two years, and it still looks pretty fresh. Like, no matter what I do, or no matter how many times I wash it, no fading, shirt looks great. They make great clothing, and uh, just some of the artwork that they're using here is phenomenal. Now, if you're unaware of what the Daniel Arsham collaboration is, he's actually a he's a sculptor, sculptist, sculpture. What do you call him? Sculptor, who makes uh, sculptures, but he does them in this very unique style. What he likes to do is he likes to create art that looks like it's degrading, so that when so the, the whole thing is like it looks like he's esca- he's excavated these like sculptures from the ground and they're missing pieces or crystals will be coming out of them. They are they are damaged and there's just this ancient look to them. The whole point is he wants people to look at his art and think from like a future's perspective, like what would people think if they found these kind of sculptures like two to three hundred years in the future or even further? And it's a very cool art style that we've seen in his uh, in his initial reveal tra- uh, trailer for this, which was a great trailer. We got to see some cool stuff. Um, but now that we're seeing the same art style being applied to the clothing brand, some of it's really unique. I love a lot of these shirts. The Pikachu shirt, Pikachu shirts especially, got me hyped. But I really like that Mewtwo in the standard, you know, Mewtwo arm out pose, but his tail's like snapped off. He's missing like a chunk of his leg and there's crystals growing out of it. And it, this is a very cool art style. One that we haven't really seen applied to the Pokemon branding. And I really like that. Um, plus overall, Jekyll being one of my favorite clothing brands of all time just means this is a collaboration made in heaven for me. Just because I know the quality of the clothing will be amazing, I'm in, I'm infatuated with Daniel Arsham's like art style that he's applied to the Pokemon, and he wrote a cool little trailer for this, like a 30 second trailer that was animated by him and his staff. This wasn't animated by the Pokemon, you know, reg- series regulars. So I was really impressed that when I saw the little intro, but I should have known something was when the Pikachu in the trailer was a little bit fatter than what we see you know, in modern day Pokemon anime. But I really, really 
cannot wait for this. It's going to launch later this month, at the end of this month, April 20, April 30th, uh, is what it says down here. And uh, Daniel Arsham actually put out a pretty neat statement about it. Um, let's go ahead and read that. Over the past year, I have had the fortunate opportunity to work with Pokemon Company and the animators from their studio. As the first visual artist to be granted access to the Pokemon archive, my intention with the project was not to only bring the universe of Pokemon and the characters into my work, but to have my work infiltrate the Pokemon universe as well. As part of my collaboration with Pokemon, a collection of designs with Unique Glow will be released on April 24th online globally. My studio worked with the design team from the original series to create this animation, even using the real voice of Pikachu. Join me in Kanto over the next as this special project rolls out. So we, this that statement, the last part of that statement, lets us know that this is more than just a clothing cl collaboration. There's go he whatever they're whatever the Pokemon company is doing with Daniel Arsham, as there's a bigger plan lined up. I'm thinking it's gonna have something to do with what is next year, the 25th anniversary of Pokemon. Or, so. I so. I always got the. I thought like we just celebrated the 25th last time, so I I'm just kind of lost now. But I think last time we talked about no. this, we we're like, yeah, no, it's 25th. Yeah, so next year is the 25th anniversary. I wouldn't be surprised if whatever they're building up to with this art that he's doing has something to do with whatever plans they have for next year. Either way, I just really, really like what what this guy's doing. This art style just. We've never really seen Pokemon look broken like this. So it gets me really hyped. Um, any particular thoughts you have on the Uniqlo uh, collaboration? Um, yeah. So one, the trailer that is animated, when you see like the fatter Pikachu, uh, phenomenal job because it looks like you would see it, you know, in a very old, you know, the original like season, maybe the second season of the anime, like it really, it captures that art style more so than, you know, uh, the gen three and up or, you know, the recent sun and moon and sort of shield animes. Uh, this is the, it's got the classic vibe to it. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the sculptures themselves as far as the uh, clothing brand goes, specifically some of the designs uh, I'm not too big of a fan of just because so on the shirts they have, um, like what you'd see of the sculptures, but then they sort of redrawn the sculptures and then printed them. So it's like this sketched out version of the sculptures. So like if an archeologist was documenting his findings, he would sketch them like that. And that's kind of what you have on the shirt. I would more so rather just have something like closer to the actual sculptures though. Okay, I feel you on that. Something I want to point out about the, the animated trailer um, that we're going to have in the completed version of this episode. Uh, is It's almost like it's drawn in the season one art style. Mm -hmm. Like it has like that, like kind of like animation grain that we see on those older episodes that really just get me amped for this. And obviously Pikachu finding the statue, you know, and his reaction to it is just priceless. I really excited about this collaboration. They just, there's just too many good things happening here. We have a great urban artist on top of a great streetwear brand collaborating with one of the biggest, you know, global brands in the world. Pokemon is huge and it has no no slowing it down right now. That's what it really feels like. Like since 2016, I feel like we've we've entered like a new renaissance of Pokemon 
And it's nice to see them doing these kind of collaborations, stepping outside of the box. We never had stuff like this in the early days of Pokemon. And now seeing it like evolve into this, this is a cool progression for the for the franchise, for the for the games, for just the overall brand. And I love it. Mm-hmm. This gets me amped. I I'm just super excited. These are clothes that I'm gonna be wearing. <laughs> Without question, I'm gonna be wearing a little bit of everything that we see here. Ah, what's nice is too. I live in Florida, and uh, we have stores here. We, we're one of the few states that have like unique little physical locations. We have two. We have one at Disney Springs, and one at the Mall of Florida. Granted, everything is closed right now, but eventually these stores will open back up, and hopefully they will get some of the physical merch so that I can pick some up there. But I am going to be pre-ordering these as soon as they go live. April 24th, if you guys are excited about this, it's time to go ahead and get your gear. Because if you don't, I'm going to be rocking it, and I'm not going to feel bad for you. Look, I'm already rocking the Uniqlo right now. Oh, and that's another thing. Uniqlo has done so many awesome collaborations. They've done collaborations with Shonen Jump. They've done collaborations with uh, Mario, Splatoon, Snoopy. Uh and just to keep the ball rolling on what Uniqlo is doing, they announced another collaboration over the week. And this one is equally as cool as the Pokemon one. So they announced a line of Super Mario 35th anniversary clothing. Now, granted, there is a caveat. This is exclusive to the UK. Now, I do believe that they will be offering... Uh, What's it called? Shipping. Uh, International shipping. But, oh God, I can't open the link for some reason. There we go. Yeah, they will be offering international shipping, but some of these these shirts that they've come out with are sick. And I don't know if anybody's noticed this, but I do want to point out that some of the designs of the shirt and some of the dialogue that's written on the shirt comes directly from the video game manuals for Mm -hmm. Super Mario Bros. 1. Like, if you are a retro gamer, old school gamer, or just old enough to remember the instruction manual for Super Mario Bros. 1, the art on this shirt has been re- is literally pulled from the instruction manual. I love that. That is just, that's just hitting the nostalgia button for me. That one is actually my favorite shirt, more so because of the, I guess, colors and branding. So if I can describe it, it's, it's a pure white shirt. It's got this really nice, like, pink um, marker tip almost font that says Mario on it. And we got a pink uh, Mario and pipe coming out. It says Super Mario on the logo on the side, sideways going down, 1985, uh, sort of in black bolt underneath the pink. And then on top of, you know, that pink in the front center is that just blurb introducing the the story and structure of Mario from that game uh, book which that one's definitely my favorite. They actually have another one with the characters. Uh, that it, It's another plain white shirt, but it has like the Goomba, uh, Bowser, uh, Princess Peach, Toad, Bullet, and those them in their, uh, their hand-drawn art, but then it also has them standing beside their pixel art. Mm-hmm. It's very cool, and it's, instead of Bowser, it just says the big boss, and it's this is a cool collaboration. And the shirts are roughly 12 pounds, 90 quid. 
which is roughly 15 American dollars, which is usually what a shirt from Uniqlo costs. That's the other thing. Uniqlo is extremely affordable. So it's nice to see that Mario and Pokemon having these kind of collaborations won't really, you know, hurt your wallet, uh, which is nice. I, I like to look good and I like to have these, you know, fun shirts. I don't like to spend too, too much money. So, you know, when you get into the Uniqlo branding, you're not, you're not wasting your money and it's high quality, low price. That's a way to like really make a person like me happy. Now, if I can also just mention something I'm displeased with here. So if you look on the website, it's, you go down, you know, defaults like the men, because we're, we're men, we're adults. If you go look on the kids section, there's this one. It's this really nice red, and it's got Mario on like an 8-bit background, but he's the new 3D model. And it's grayed out. I love that sort of style so much, but it's only in the kids version. And I'm really so, upset. I have, so this isn't exclusive to the Super Mario branding, and I'm probably sure it's not going to be exclusive to the Pokemon uh, Daniel Arsham crossover. Uniqlo has a tendency of when they do these collaborations, the kid size shirts are always better. So last year they did a My Hero Academia set, which if you guys know, huge fan of My Hero Academia. It is one of my favorite anime currently. And uh, I got myself a black Deku shirt and it's just a picture of Deku. And they, they had a bunch of other shirts and I bought most of them. Uh, but then I was looking through the kids' aisle, and I saw a shirt of my favorite character from the series, Katsuki Bakugo. And it was the best shirt that they had, but it was limited to the children. So I went and bought one for my niece. And I was like, if, okay. I, if I can't wear it, she can wear it. And while I wear my Deku shirt, she'll wear her Bakugo shirt. And I'll spend the day with my niece looking super cute. Oh, there is also a contest in the UK uh, that's going to basically the winner will get the entire line of clothing, which includes the kids ones. I I would assume unless there's some kind of like it's exclusive to the UK, though. So, yeah, I know. I can't uh, OK, so, yes. If you win, you will get the, the entire line. This includes the eight adult designs and the six kids designs and the shorts. I don't know if you got a chance to see the shorts I'm that they did for the shorts. kids. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one that kind of hurt a lot is when you see the kids' shirts. It's it's really not fair at all. They got oh, Where do I find that at? Uh, there's, right a, there's a kids' section in the uh... – oh, wait. You know what? Where'd it go? Product filter maybe? And then – no, that's colors. Now I don't see them it's anymore. It's not important. It's not. But they they were just like a. It was like a Mario print that looked very cool. Made me very jealous. Okay. Uniqlo has this habit though. Like they do these awesome collaborations, but they make sure that the kids get way better designs than the adults. And I'm like, that's not fair. It's so not. I'm hope. I'm really hoping Daniel Arsham collaboration doesn't do the same thing to me because. I'm already buying all of these shirts. I am going to buy every single shirt from the Daniel Arsham collection uh, just because I think they all look good. I think they all look good. That broken Pokemon design. Plus, he has the that silhouetted Pikachu and Eevee shirt that I think look really fantastic. But I wouldn't be surprised if kids get better designs. Something I also want to point out is Uniqlo is a unisex brand. 
So their shirts are designed so that anybody can wear them. So you start to see a lot of like pinks and powder blues in their in their clothing line. It's because they want to kind of blur the lines, which I think is cool. It doesn't really affect the way the shirts are made. They all super comfortable and I like them. So far, like half my wardrobe now is from Uniqlo because they've done so many cool collaborations. Anyway, moving on to another collaboration because today's the fashion episode. The Levi's Super Mario line is finally available for purchase. And we talked about this. We said it wasn't going to be cheap. And Lord, it is not cheap. These are some great designs, but we're talking like a couple hundred dollars for certain things. And it pains me when I saw the price. I think it was like $148 for the uh, the entire like printed denim jeans that are like from top to bottom. Mario I was like, that's insanity. Like, I don't mind paying for some of the stuff that they, they're making, but I am definitely not paying $150 for those butt ugly jeans. Like, they're cool, but they're not that cool. <laughs> Speaking from the retail experience of American Eagle and some of their collaborations, uh, specifically with a lot of the denim stuff, it gets pricey when they do denim collaborations. But a lot of times it is very ugly. And because of that, because of high price, ugly clothes, like after like a bit, you can usually find a lot on clearance. I'm not exactly sure how Levi does their clearance, but like at American Eagle, it's like 20 bucks. It went from like 150 to, to just 20 bucks. So I don't know about this collaboration. This collaboration is considered like a high end collaboration for Nintendo and yeah, for Levi's. People will buy Nintendo stuff yeah, for sure. No but, matter what the price. I'm not saying I'm unwilling to pay these prices, but it actually limits. It, it, it's going to limit how much of it I actually do buy. Now, some of this merchandise is already sold out, like the bandanas, which mm-hmm. totally makes sense with, you know, everybody like yeah. trying to make makeshift masks. Um, but uh, I, I love the, the collaboration so far. Everything I've seen has been for the most part, pretty dope. Now there's the only thing that I think is just outright completely ugly is the denim suit print with the jeans that match. They are terrible. It's like the worst collab, the worst thing I've seen in any type of collaboration. It's bad. I... Now the shorts don't look so bad, and the hoodie. They have this the denim jacket as a hoodie. I think as a hoodie, it works much better. By the way, is that the character print one, right? Yes, yeah, the character. Yeah, print one. I like that one a lot. I like that character print. Yeah, it all looks really good. The jeans are dope. Uh, the overalls. I don't think they've actually released the overalls as of yet. Which They'll is, be expensive. Oh, 100%. dude. So the, At least 100 uh, I'm, plus. Okay. Nope, nope. The overalls are out. You know what? They're not as bad as... They're coming really? soon. They're coming soon, but they're going to retail for $148, which, considering that some of the jeans are a little bit more expensive than that, that doesn't seem too out there. This is really the name branding here. Levi's yeah. is so big in America and kind of globally, actually. And they're so old and they're so established that they can charge these prices. And it doesn't seem overly outlandish. I mean, for like your average Joe, this is I'm not, I, I'm going to buy less of this than I thought I was. And I thought I was going to buy a little bit of everything. I'm pulling back. 
uh, just because I do feel like the prices are exorbitant. I will keep an eye on this collection to see if they do eventually start to go on clearance, but not in the near future. It's it's very disheartening. It's, it's yeah. very disheartening. But aside from that, I I, I want to talk. The reason I, I put all these topics together is because it goes back to this thing that we've kind of been talking about for the course of the last two years. It's that Nintendo has been a lot more willing to put their IP out there. We're starting to see a lot more collaborations, high-end collaborations. And with the Super Mario brand, it feel like it started kind of small. We we got the the Vans collaboration was that back in 2016? Yeah, 2016. They I was did the, 2015. 20, I was like I was probably still in high school at that point, but like yes. ending it. 2016, 2016. All right. So, yeah, it's been four years since that collaboration. And since then, we've seen them do, they did the thing with Vans. Then they did the thing with uh, Forever 21. Then they low key did a thing with Unique Low uh, last year. And they did, actually, they did a couple things with Unique Low. They did a Pokemon collaboration with Unique Low in 2018. Then they did a Mario collaboration that year as well, and a Splatoon collaboration. This was before I had like a whole lot of knowledge about what Uniqlo was, so I'm a little disappointed in myself for missing the boat on those because Splatoon did have a Uniqlo collaboration, which totally breaks my heart that I wasn't aware of it because I would have bought everything. I saw the designs. I would have bought everything. They did such a good job. They actually recreated a few shirts from the game in the Uniqlo brand. And Uniqlo is, like I said, very comfortable. But anyway, but now we're seeing them take all those collaborations and move them into higher art and, and better brands. So now we're at the point where we're with Levi's and you're seeing, you know, a collaboration between Uniqlo and a, and a, and a sculptor. These are cool collaborations. They just make me really happy. I would have killed for these things. You know, as a kid, when I was growing up in the 90s and as a teenager, it's I'm glad I'm still young enough to get away with wearing some of this because I'm because I'm getting to the point where I'm going to have to, like, stop because I'm going to start looking too old to be wearing some of this. I'm pretty sure I look too old for a lot of people to be wearing it now, but I don't, give a, I don't really give a rat's ass. I enjoy wearing the clothing. Dude, every time I go out, people see me wearing one of these shirts, especially the Street Fighter stuff. Everybody's like, yo, that shirt. And I'm like, I know. Right. Thank you. Wear what you want to wear, people. If you if like whatever's comfortable to you, whatever you think you look good in, that's what matters. Just put that out there. I'm just saying, man, like at some point you gotta dress your age. I mean, yeah, but don't sacrifice your tastes and your comfort for dressing your age. Oh but man, these collaborations, they are fun. Like they're expensive though. Like they're they're definitely hurting my wallet. Ah. Uh, and what's what's really bad about a few of them is the state of the world right now has really interfered with yeah. it. So all these clothing lines were intended to have retail releases, even the Levi's. Things have changed so that they're online only, and you know the scalpers and that damn F5 key. And their bot shoppers yeah. going to make life Hard. I think the only reason the Levi's haven't sold out is just because of the pricing and people are not willing to pay this price. 
Mm-hmm. Not me. I'm I'm getting in on that, but still. Anyway, love these collaborations, and uh, I think it's time we just go ahead and move into our next collaboration. Lego Super Mario has been uh, the release date has been announced. Uh, the pre-orders did go live, and they sold out instantly. Uh, what's cool about it is we got a brand new trailer. Again, they did that whole. ASMR like uh, intro which Mario theme yeah. yes which I really love when they do stuff like that um, but the trailer actually talks about a lot of the technology in Lego Mario itself he has a uh, a gyroscope inside of him uh, obviously we knew about the Bluetooth if you watched that uh, uh, revealed div- uh, video that I did where I break down that first trailer I discuss a lot of what's actually making Mario work. Uh, to interact with the things that he's interacting with. It's a really cool video. It's less than 10 minutes. If you haven't seen it, I implore you guys to check it out because I get to use uh, the extensive research that I did for another video and apply it to this video. So it's very cool. Uh, The price for LEGO Super Mario was oddly cheap for a LEGO starter set, $59.99 US dollars, which it's not exactly cheap it's roughly the price of a brand new video game uh but you get that first starter set which includes uh mario some goombas and a whole bunch of other stuff but if you pre-ordered it from lego.com you actually got an additional lego set for that had a value of 14.99 and that includes uh who did it include like uh that monty mole is that what his name is the two moles in mario either monty mole or rocky wrench um it, I, think I don't was, know if those are who were included. Yeah, I think it was Monty Mole that was included in that extra set. The more and more I see of these Mario Legos, the just happier I am to see these. I don't know why. It's just, I mean, I know why. It's awesome. But, <laughs> like, at, like, the very first time, like, it was cool, but I'm like, well, you know, it's still just the Lego set. How, like, if you're not into it, you're not into it. But it just makes me happy. No, they did a really good job. And they don't really tell you it, but... We haven't seen it officially in any like video capacity yet, but they also did show off the Bowser Castle set, Ooh, which man. looks okay. incredible with like a builded, you know, with I I, I was kind of hoping that a lot more of the characters would be animated the way Mario is, but they actually have a a build for Bowser that looks fairly good. Um, you should be okay. able to see it in the link uh, from Engadget that I sent. It's Scroll down to roughly the bottom of the uh and gadget it. Uh, I got yeah. It. yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. He kind of looked oh no, that's because it is Bowser Jr. Where was the actual Bowser model? At the bottom oh, if you yeah. look at oh. the, the yeah. The, with dry bones. That's awesome. Yes, that's the other one that's included. It's Monty Moles and Dry Bowl. Potaboo, nice. What I like is we they also unveiled the other uh pl- another playset, which is the piranha slide. Where mm-hmm. Mario is like sliding up and down, like on a seesaw, and on either end of him are two Lego piranha plants. They've done such a good job with this collaboration that every time I see it, they just they Im- again, like what you said, it makes me happy just because they've done such a phenomenal job on world building. <laughs> yeah, that's the word. Yeah, world building. I'd say. You know, it's so weird. A few years ago, Lego had uh, Lego Dimensions as their mm-hmm. Toys to Life, you know, 
uh, big, expansive, like, entry into video games. They've been working on this about as long as they worked on Lego Dimensions. Like, Lego Dimensions was still a thing when they started this collaboration. I am really surprised that they weren't able to work this out a little bit faster. Yeah. uh, Because this probably could have saved Lego Dimensions, especially if it had, uh, like, if they had gone the, the Skylanders amiibo route, where, like, the Donkey Kong and the Bowser uh, Skylander figure function as amiibo. They could have done some cool collaborations. It's a shame that LEGO Dimensions didn't live long enough for this for sure. collaboration. Because they could have done some just cool shit. Aside from that, though... Which would have just... been, like... Go ahead. That would have been uh, a crossover not only between like Mario and Sonic because they had a Lego Dimension Sonic set, but that would have also included uh, Portal stuff, right? And like the Doctor from Doctor Who, like there was a Ghostbusters. That could have been such a cool thing. I'm I'm pissed. Yeah, I'm I'm actually watching the trailer right now, and in the trailer again, it's been a little bit since I've seen it, but I'm they actually show the Bowser Castle build, and they did just such a good job. Like, oh, so we didn't, we actually didn't say when this is actually releasing. This is coming out August 1st. Again, the pre orders did go live on Lego.com, but they were sold out within the first day. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I didn't actually manage to snag a pre order, but my brother did uh, for my niece because he showed her the trailer and she's three. But when she saw, but she's very, aware of Mario and whatnot just because of the nature of what I do. You know, mm-hmm. me having yeah. me having the podcast and I, there's Mario all over my house and Pokemon all over my house. Like look. That's a nice collection. You're you're putting like the Pokemon Funko collection to work and I love that. Yeah they've done they've done Funko's done an amazing job with that collaboration. I would like to do a little bit more in depth stuff with them other than the unboxings and I want to get into what Funko's done with that collaboration uh, sometime in the future, but... I regret um, not getting a Bulbasaur. (laughs) You know, Bulbasaur took me the longest to get uh, the 4-inch version just because he did. Finding him was difficult. I ended up eventually finding him at a Best Buy of all places. Uh, Ironically, the 10-inch Bulbasaur was the first one in the line that I did get. Then I went back and got the Pikachu, and since then I've been pretty on point. I'm still waiting on my damn Mr. Mime. I got all the other ones, but not Mr. Mime. Uh, really upsetting GameStop. Man, y'all let me down. Uh, no, but yeah, the once once these pre-orders went live and they sold out, it was so disheartening. And uh, I was saying, yeah, my niece, just the nature of what, what I do here, she very well of Mario and what Mario means to me. And I've been able to share Mario with her in very different ways, not through video games. I've actually introduced her to Mario through things like toys and whatnot. So this Lego collaboration, by the time it comes out, she'll actually be four years old. And I'm going to be excited to share the experience of this with my niece. And I think that's ultimately what their goal was, was to have this like connection with parents and children. I think Lego is one of the generational toys. Like every generation has come up with Legos to an extent, right? At least 
the last three or four generations have grown up with Legos. I built Legos with my mm -hmm. dad as a kid. I'm going to build Legos with my niece, and eventually I'll build Legos with my own kids. I'm excited for this experience, and I'm really excited that I get to have this experience and it be Mario-themed. That just makes this whole collaboration so much more interesting to me. Cannot wait till August 1st. Now, the thing is that sucks is that Lego hasn't put pre-orders out on any other platform. I've been checking Amazon every day to see if Amazon would have a listing for it, and they still don't. And now that we don't have things like Toys R Us anymore, it's going to be really hard. And once this comes out at physical retail, your options are Walmart and Target. There may be bloodbaths for this Lego set. Oh, um, is there a Legoland in Florida? I know there's definitely the one in yes. California. Well, so we have a couple of, we have Legoland Florida, which is one of the newer ones. Mm -hmm. But at Disney uh, Springs, there's a physical Lego store. It's a very big store oh. with Lego. The problem is, is that Disney has like this kind of rule where they don't let outside IP infiltrate their parks in that way. So it's highly unlikely that the Disney store will be getting the Mario uh, Lego set. I know because of that specific reason, we didn't get the first Mario collaboration with Uniqlo at the Disney, at the Disney Springs location, which is why I'm so happy they built a second location at the mall in, in Orlando, because that means whatever Disney will not carry can be carried at the other store because it's not beholden to that, that stupid rule. So I was going to say, there's a Legoland here as well. And uh, I was probably going to go there once it opens again uh, and, and try and snag up your order there. Maybe it was right across from where I worked for the longest time. So I'm familiar. Yeah. The Legoland we have here in Florida is actually the, the last one they built in the States. So I do believe they're going to plan on opening another one up, but yeah. I could have sworn. I feel like the one here opened up in 2016. It's really newer than that. Okay, so ours opened in like 2011. October 15th, 2011. 2011? <clears throat> What's the, uh, when were you opened? How do I see that? I just typed in when did Legoland Florida open? <laughs> Oh, I guess I didn't answer the question. I just could have typed it. Um, when did it open? Yeah. Pretty sure it came out like my senior year of high school. Yeah, March 25th, 2016. Okay, so your, your Lego line is newer. Yeah. Up until a point, I guess ours was the newest. Uh, you, be, you bring up a really good point with the whole generational thing, though. Uh, this makes me want to have a kid to build Legos with. Uh, that's definitely like... A dad goal that I have is definitely building Legos to my my kids, and that's something that obviously you know the experience I had had too. Um, that and like the Thomas the Tank Engine trains, I built with those. my my parents were they have those like saved so that I can build Thomas the Tank Engine trains with my kids, even though they won't know who Thomas is. But oh well, I'm pretty sure Thomas just got a reboot recently. Did he? Um, yeah, he did everything. He's all like he's all like CGI now. He kind of I don't know those. The Thomas, Jeff he always, Ford, those right? train sets always creep me out. Oh, have, for sure. Yeah, as an adult, they're hella weird. They creep me out as a kid too, man. They have trains with faces. I mean, all right, but but JJ Jetplane was even weirder. I'm not sure if you know who JJ. No, I think I'm a little too old for that. But, but 
that, that was definitely uh, the more uncanny valley than Thomas. But that I don't, I loved both of them so much. But I don't know how I could <laughs> as an adult. Uh, all, right. <laughs> all right, moving on. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, this got weird. <laughs> no, but again, yeah, I am super excited about Kinda, this Lego yeah. collaboration. Like, I'm I'm gonna get one for my own personal enjoyment that one i'm going to enjoy you know building i actually might film the build process of that just because it looks like be a whole lot of fun to just build plus it's like kind of mario maker irl right get to design mm-hmm. your own stages that's you the cool thing too ASMR stream you know what i think is dope is you know how many people like how many like really good lego designers they're going to get their hands on this playset and they're going to combine it with other places to make some incredible yeah. Mario stages. Like, what Lego's showing us here, it's very cool. It's novel, right? But it's mm-hmm. something that your average, you know, Lego consumer can build on their own. You put this playset in the hands of these more, like, elaborate Lego designers, they're going to blow shit out of the water. I can't wait to see what kind of videos come out from those people. It's it's mm-hmm. very exciting. I mean, you can look it up right now if you just type in Lego Mario builds. People have done some incredible stuff with Legos already, but imagine what they're gonna do when they have like these like interactive points to make Mario interact with. That's gonna be sick. I cannot wait. Let's go ahead and move into a little bit more somber news, real quick. Uh, Gamescom 2020 was officially canceled, and the team that's uh, that's worked behind the scenes to get this accomplished. They put out a statement this morning that says the following. It's official. Unfortunately, Gamescom will under no circumstances take place on site in Cologne this year. Cologne being in Germany. Just like many of you, we are disappointed because as the Gamecom team, we have been working on a wonderful Gamescom 2020 for months, just like many exhibitors. However, it is also quite clear to us that in the face of the corona pandemic, we must stand united. This means that we we must all be considerate of each other and reduce the risk of infection. We are, however, already working full speed on a digital Gamescom. It is, after all, the world's biggest event for games, and that's what should be that's what it should be again this year. You can already look forward to how we will celebrate the best games and Gamescom together with you and millions of gamers worldwide at the end of August, even if it will only be digital and not on location this time. Because one thing is certain, this year, too, Gamescom is and will remain the heart of gaming. We will reveal more about this in the next few weeks. Until then, stay healthy and don't forget to stay home, play together. Now, Gamescom is not as important as they make it seem in this uh, statement. Uh, Gamescom is still a relatively small show. Uh, It's also an international show, so its reach and pool is small, but nonetheless... Because E3 got canceled this year, losing Gamescom, uh, even though it's as far out as as August, hurts. Because we already know that a lot of the uh, developers aren't going to be attending or, or producing any content for the E3 timeframe. Uh, Bethesda outright said, we're not making anything for the June release. We're not going to reveal anything, which is lame. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Ubisoft and... You know, other third-party developers decided, hey, we, we, without E3, we don't need to show our content until we feel necessary. It necessary to, sh- to show. Um, 
So I, I thought that a lot of those developers would maybe move their presentations to around the, the time that Gamescom would be happening. But with Gamescom not happening, I am I'm thinking that the uh, the digital presentation thing won't work out as they hope it does. It just if a if a video game developer doesn't want to show something, they won't, right? That's mm-hmm. that's just just fact of the matter. But they do at E three because E three is a big event and it's it is expected of a developer to highlight projects that they're working on to showcase what's coming in the upcoming two to possibly three years. Mm, for sure, if I'm a developer and I'm working on is completely half-baked, nowhere near ready to really show. I'm going to at least try and get something together that I can present at E3 somehow, you know, at all. You know, like a basic trailer, even if yeah. it's like a, even if it's and not it's like cinematic. an in-game engine. Mm-hmm. Like how, many, yeah. how, how many times have we seen trailers that at E3 that don't utilize the in-game engine? They're just like these CG trailers. Elder that- Scrolls 6. In, <laughs> in what was Call it, Duty games. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh boy! But then, you know, we get proof of concept in yeah, that way. You know, proof of concept, uh, proof that it's happening, and here's like kind of the idea, and it's also great for marketing. If I'm like not, you know, a big franchise or you know a smaller studio or something, it's gonna be tougher to maybe get people to buy my games. It's a great marketing opportunity to have something to show, get that put into Nintendo's highlight reel or some other highlight reel. You know, like exactly. Hey, you know? Yeah, that's a great marketing opportunity for you. Yeah, so not having E3 meant that we weren't going to see a lot of what these developers were planning. It goes even further now because not having Gamescom means that the same thing that happened with E3's digital event, which once E3 was canceled, they're like, we're working on a a digital event. Well, E3 pulled the plug on their digital event, and I won't be surprised if the same thing happens with the Gamescom event. I think it's it's a hard sell to get these mm-hmm. de- developers to show something off, especially when the physical presence of an audience will not be there to gauge the response. The internet is an amazing thing, but it's also a toxic and terrible place. Yeah. You do not get an accurate like read of an audience just by looking at trolls on the internet saying whatever they're going to say about everything. Um, but it's also true that sometimes crowds at events like E3 and Gamescom superficially cheer for things that maybe they aren't so excited for. Like you get caught up in the hype of, of the moment, you know, I've been to, I've been to concerts where like, you know, sometimes I thought the music or the, what I was seeing on stage was cooler than uh, the actual music that I was listening to. Imagine Dragons. I've seen Imagine Dragons play live. I do not like Imagine Dragons. But live, that shit was amazing. Um, so yeah, it's... You know, so I in, in that moment, in the audience, part of the crowd, I found myself, you know, cheering. I was like, this is dope! You play Imagine Dragons and I'm in my house, so I turn that shit off. <laughs> Just um. turn that shit off. No, yeah. Uh, a lot of people make fun of the guy. I think it was from the most recent Bethesda E3 
uh, who like after every single sentence, he was like, yeah, he's the loudest guy. Like everyone knew it was that one guy being mm -hmm. that loud. Um, I, people like say, oh, he's totally a paid actor, right? Oh, uh, every everything like that, that the presenter was saying probably had at least some kind of hype because he's sort of like listing off like the expectations, like you can experience this in 4K or you can experience it eight players or you know like they'll like stay like sort of feature by feature and after every feature though he'd be like yeah so i feel like for each feature that was kind of garner some hype well like, it, kind of, it kind of just did you watch the ps5 presentation from two weeks the, ago the te yeah the one where he goes on and on about the audio spectrums and stuff right i feel like that would have gone over better at e3 mm -hmm. than it went just as a presentation I was bored. I mean, I feel like it wasn't for us. I feel like it really was. It was, I mean, it was from GDC. It was for mm -hmm. it, it. That's a developer only event to kind of showcase. Hey, this is what our technology does. This is how it works. This is how you can utilize it. But yeah. at the same time, they do put those presentations out on the internet, regardless for the audience to see. But how many times have they unveiled a console at an E3? gone over the specs and what the system does and how they accomplish that to an audience and it maybe not as in depth but it goes over much better mm -hmm. like it, it's a hard stuff big numbers people easily lose their shit <laughs> if you say big numbers um at, at just a random online presentation people are confused because it's it is a very different uh setting well, also, we didn't see the console. The yeah, that's what people really want to see. They want to see the console. We saw the controller recently. Yes. And, we got uh, the logo the one time. They're really teasing us here. I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that controller design, by the way. It's it's different. Getting it's rid of different. the... I'm looking at it right now. Getting rid of the dog bone design that PlayStation has had since kind of like forever, since PS1. Like it's a dog bone. It's a dog bone. I like the dog bone design, and I do not like what they've done with it. I don't know. I kind of. I've always never really liked the dog bone. I think it, it's better than a lot of people give it credit for, but I still kind of feel like it's not the most ergonomic it could be. But the PS5 controller is looking a little generic. Like, looks like the Xbox controller. It looks like one of the Steel Series controllers that you get for your PC or for your smart device. Yeah. Which Steel Series makes a great controller, by the way. The thing that takes me off about how they like they're clearly trying to copy those kind of Xbox ergonomics is that they still kept the sticks, if I can like right next to each other, when like Xbox and Nintendo Pro Controllers both have it on where the D-pad is currently, mm -hmm. which is is much better. I think that creates less way less thumb cramps. Well, uh, yeah, the asymmetrical analogs. It looks stupider, yeah, but it's much better. What I don't like is like the in-lane buttons for like your capture and your start button. Mm -hmm. Those well, it's not the capture anymore. It's create now, right? I guess, but it's essentially what it is. it's still a capture yeah. button. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But having those buttons in lane, I don't like. That. I don't even like that on the uh, the pro controller. They're in lane on the pro yeah. controller as well. Um, not as much. Like they they do protrude slightly, but they're more in lane than you know other buttons. I actually have. Uh, I have the Power A controller, and the capture buttons protrude a lot more. It gives me a lot more, you know, recognition as to which button I'm pressing 
than having like the inlane buttons. I mean, there are less on the PS5 controller. Like, you know, I guess that's a home button. I can't really tell. I don't know. It's not a PlayStation podcast, but still, I mean, they've been cock teasing the PS5 and <laughs> it's working though. I guess. Like, Xbox has dropped everything all at once. They blew their load, and oh, all right, now we just reveal like the price eventually. <laughs> and then here, here's PlayStation. All right, all right. We got a logo. All right, all right. Now we get like uh, information about like, oh, we're going to have 3D audio. You know, we're going to have SSD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now we get a controller, but there's still like, there's still no console. Don't worry. You'll, you'll see the console before release by like a day, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to get back to this Gamescom thing. Oh, yeah. Sorry. As, as much as like I kind of. I feel bad that Gamescom did get canceled. I'm also I'm not super disappointed either, uh, for a few reasons. One, one being very superficial and really only applies to me. I lived in Germany for ten damn years, mm-hmm. ten damn years, and we had nothing of the sort. Mm-hmm. That is a third of my life, almost a fourth at this point because I'm getting older. But a, th- a third of my life in that country. No kind of conventions of the sort. The second I move back to America, they're like, we're going to start doing some cool shit here. You motherfuckers. I'm just saying. Uh, so, yeah. So, personally, on a, person, yeah, on a personal note, I'm very salty that I, you know, got stuck in a foreign country for that long and uh, didn't have very many outlets for my, you know, video game nerdy nerdiness. Uh Aside from that, I don't really feel all that bad because I know a lot of people may love what Gamescom is and what it represents, especially to like the European, you know, communities. Gamescom is small. It it doesn't resonate internationally as much as you know E3 does. Uh, less developers go to it. A lot of the big name companies don't have a presence there. Nintendo does, but what Nintendo brings are like. Here's DLC updates that we're planning. We're not showing you jack shit. We're not showing you a tentpole title release. We're not saving anything for Gamescom. Yeah, and a lot of Gamescom is reused announcements. And I think I kind of expected Gamescom to be canceled, but I was like, well, if Gamescom isn't canceled, this is like the time for them to get a bunch of stuff and grow. This is the time for when the developers that wanted to show things at E3 get a chance to show them at Gamescom instead and get a lot of those first announcements you know, get a lot of, uh, you know, people announcing things there because that's sort of like the next best fallback you could really think of, right? Yeah. Um, other than them hosting their own digital events, it's which, the most possible thing. Which at this point, every video game company does now. Nintendo's had mm-hmm. Direct since 2011. Uh, now PlayStation has the uh, state of play and Xbox has their version, which I have never even bothered to learn the name of because I haven't watched a single one. But they all have like these Nintendo Direct style presentations. Mm-hmm. The moment Nintendo started doing that, it kind of put it took a lot of pressure off of them to even attend D3, mm-hmm. yet they continued to do so, but mostly to showcase things that they were going to announce in a direct or some type of digital presentation. And what they would do at E3 was mostly just build an atmosphere. Yeah. So that you could experience their games in the most unique way possible. Uh, I also think when you go to E3 as a fan or you watch like the Treehouse Live and you 
see people walking through the Nintendo booth, which over the course of the last few years has been Breath of the Wild and Super Mario Odyssey. And uh, I don't remember what they had last. Luigi's Mansion. Yes, yes. And Pokemon, you look at that and it's kind of hard to to talk shit about their games because the type of experience you're you're having at E3 playing those games under those conditions, they put you in a state of mind that you're more you're more likely to enjoy what you're playing. It's a, it's almost a little underhanded how Nintendo like manages to do that, but yeah, they don't really do that at Gamescom either. That's kind of exclusive to E three. So, you know, f- you know, from a from a from the from the standpoint of the effort that these gentlemen put in, ladies and gentlemen, put in to make Gamescom as big as it is, you know, over the last few years, it doesn't hold the kind of like international recognition that it should it's pretty much geared to european audiences and uh the biggest reveals that i can remember from gamescom are very small like lollipop was a gamescom reveal for arms which cool we're getting a cool arm character but she's a creepy clown not in japan clowns are not sort of creepy there it's just creepy to me and uh sure that same that same uh, day, they also announced like new stages for Splatoon Two. We're coming out the uh, they announced the park, the theme park. Can't remember the name. Wahoo of the theme park. World. Well, Wahoo World and the uh, the boat. Yeah, I don't remember the boat. Sorry. They announced the boat, uh, which is one of the worst stages in the game. I hard agree with that. Yeah, definitely the worst. Hate that stage. So I mean, yeah, look, it sucks that Gamescom is not happening, but at the same time. It doesn't really suck that much. I, I I'm I sound so like it's disinterested. it's a loss, but it's not the biggest loss that. Let's be honest, we'll face bigger losses than Gamescom. Well, well at the same time, too, it's like Gamescom getting canceled also feels because everything else has been canceled before it. You just don't care anymore. You're kind of like I'm I'm canceled out. There is nothing happening you know what I mean? this summer. So we, if it's yeah. it's a convention, it's it's done. Yeah. So we we lost South by Southwest, and that mm-hmm. one South by Southwest hurt simply because you know they they always have the Sonic event, which and granted, like there aren't a whole lot of good Sonic the Hedgehog games lately, but those events are always kind of neat and fun to watch. Uh, but they also cast you know Console Wars was supposed to have its debut there, and mm-hmm. I'm super excited and CBS. All Access hasn't announced a release date for the Console Wars documentary series. So it's like, what the fuck? Losing that premiere sucks. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, anything else you want to say on Gamescom? No, I think I kind of said what I want to say uh, for the most part, yeah. All right, so why don't we go ahead and move into our last uh, piece of news. Uh, and... I'm going to – so we kind of dropped the ball on this news story. Um, but thankfully, something happened that allowed us to revisit this news story. Game Vice lost the lawsuit against Nintendo. This lawsuit uh, came out in 2017. They basically claimed that Nintendo infringed on their patents, claiming that their uh, – I don't even remember what their device is called anymore. Isn't it just called the Game Vice? I guess so. Yeah, their game vice, which 
is a set of controllers that attaches to a smart device or a tablet um, and allows them to have, you know, a, a controller interface. They said that Nintendo infringed upon their patent and that Nintendo needs to stop selling the Nintendo Switch and needs to turn over all profits earned from the Nintendo Switch to GameVice. Well, uh, back in March of this year, March 12th to be specific, that lawsuit ended uh, with uh, GameVice having the... So the, it was thrown out. The, 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 the lawsuit was thrown out because the judge uh, in charge of the case said that there wasn't sufficient evidence that uh, Nintendo had stolen the patent and that the, the controllers were different. Like, they're not the same. This lawsuit was unmerited, according to the judge, right? So it was thrown out, and all was right in the world for two weeks. Yeah. All was right in the world for two weeks, because literally within two weeks, Game Vice launches another lawsuit. All right, what are they going after here? Uh, pull up this. All right. According to Good Nintendo, GameVice cites similarities between the Nintendo Switch and its own mobile controllers, many of which are also de designed around the idea of split controller that allows you to connect your phone or tablet on either side. The Switch design is similar, and GameVice claim it infringes on its own patents in the U.S. It's seeking a legal order to prevent the import of the Switch consoles from Japan, so they don't even want them coming into the country. Currently, though, the Nintendo Switch is sold out coronavirus stuff. I wonder how many times I can say coronavirus before we get one of those little COVID-19 like symbols on the video. Coronavirus, 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 coronavirus. So yeah. What is Gamecom up to? I'm, I'm games, what is GameVice thinking at this point? Revisiting a lawsuit that they clearly had, that had no merit. And with they're not the charges that they're filing against Nintendo aren't different. They are virtually the same. Only this time it looks like instead of going after Nintendo of Japan, they're specifically going after Nintendo of America very specifically this year. That seems to be the only difference in this lawsuit. The first one was geared at Nintendo of Japan, and this one is geared towards Nintendo of America. I don't know the difference. I assume they're going to be using the same legal team. Nintendo will be, and Games Vice is such a small company with really, they really have no merit for this lawsuit. So it's, mm -hmm. it's really weird to me that they would be going after it again so quickly. Yeah, so I'm no legal expert uh, behind patents and things, but I know pretty confidently that if you were to file a case about a U.S. filed patent, in the U.S., uh, it'll hold more water if you're trying to fight something that was produced and designed in Japan, um, as well as, like, it's a lot harder to ask that all switches and all, like, are stop being imported, stop being sold, stop being manufactured, etc., than it is to just say this one country, the United States of America, they don't get switches. So I feel like it's a, they do have a bit more uh, strength in this lawsuit specifically uh they probably still won't win i don't still think they have a case i would also imagine you you had already touched on it before uh game vice is a small company and nintendo's got 
they're big budget legal teams on this. Like, it, it seems like they're going to be spending way more in legal fees than they will get in profits and game vices. I, I can't understand after you think they just go under after the legal fees of the first one. Um, the yeah, next, I'm surprised that they've managed to stay afloat. I think the reason why is because of us right now, right? So when when Game Vice files a lawsuit, pretty much everyone who does a, a news show, whether it's you know small people like us or big websites, uh, and they're gonna be like, oh, this company's lawsuiting Nintendo, uh, and then they get like those those people talk, people start talking about it, and then specifically people like us start talking about, it, which tells other people about it. And I think that's got to be their game plan. I think the only reason they're suing Nintendo is because the more they sue Nintendo, the more people talk about Game Vice. True, but... But that can't make enough profits, kid. No, I don't think so. And I don't think the Wikipad is something that, like, anybody... I don't know I don't know of a single consumer that would actually want a Wikipad. Like, it's if a... you're a phone gamer, sure. Maybe even then. I haven't even... The problem is, I have the only place I've ever seen their products being physically sold was at the Apple store that we have here, and we have three stores uh, that I can drive to within you know an hour, and I've only seen their product in one of those three stores, and that was like at the beginning of this lawsuit when I specifically went to see if I could find any of their products. Uh, from what I see now, like the only way to get the the Wikipad, which is the name of their tablet device, uh, is through their website. And I we we made note of this before, but Game Vice suing Nintendo, you know. But I'm surprised Nintendo hasn't filed a countersuit on them for stealing the design of the Wii U. Uh, what is it called? The gamepad. It looks exactly. Like a Wii U gamepad. When this, the, when the when the controller is attached to the tablet, the button layout is identical. The analog sticks are placed exactly where they are on the Switch, and this is a this is a, the Wii U gamepad. I'm surprised that Nintendo just didn't counter sue them for, you know, patent infringement on the gamepad because that's what this looks like, and it came out after the gamepad. So technically, I think Nintendo has grounds for like, hey, we we uh, innovated the tablet uh, as part of, you know, home gaming years before the wiki pad was even an, a thought. So you maybe stole our design. I mean, that's fair. I feel like the Wii U, I mean, yeah, the design is fairly original, especially for the time, but I, I always felt like it wasn't anything new. No, but when you're, when you're looking at what what you see, even when I got mine, yeah, but when you like, look, yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, I will exactly. say that. Yeah, I think the only, the only grounds that they may have for a lawsuit is the fact that this is running on the on Nvidia uh, software, and got it. It's been well documented yeah, that core chip. That, that yeah, Nvidia did the core chip for the Nintendo Switch. It's kind of where they got the idea for the Switch is because they, you know, NVIDIA came to Nintendo, hey, look, this is what this chip can do. Can you use it? And Nintendo was like, fuck yeah, we can use it. So maybe 
the grounds for the lawsuit is, hey, a NVIDIA representative showed Nintendo what our tech did, and Nintendo filed their own patent that infringes upon us. I see that, but I feel like... Alright, so... Hmm. I feel like your beef should be with NVIDIA then, but Agreed. I don't know. You couldn't get as much from NVIDIA, though. like Because at the end of the day, the Switch is the product being sold. You know, NVIDIA just has the chipset in it. Uh, so I, I guess it's the same way how, like, if you're going to, you know, sue... Uh, you know, the, the person who hit you, who rendered you, uh, you don't sue them. You sue the car manufacturer for not making your vehicle safe. So that way, if you win that lawsuit, uh, then you've given, you've won a lawsuit to the big major car company. That's, you're set for life. What are you going to do, you know? So NVIDIA is a $13.292 billion company uh, as far as its 2018 net worth. That's a lot but of But they don't have the clout that Nintendo has. That's true. That's true. Like and if it's... you're talking to a PC gamer, they'll say, Oh yeah, NVIDIA chipsets, easy. In like in that sort of space, you'll it has a lot of clout. But if you're talking to, to grandma, you tell them about, about NVIDIA, they're like, What's a NVIDIA? You tell them about Mario. Oh, I know Mario. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna keep you guys posted. We're gonna follow this lawsuit more thoroughly as more information comes out and uh if it gets if this lawsuit gets thrown out like the first one did we promise we'll do an update the problem is is i feel like the, when they threw out the lawsuit it was done very quietly and i know mm-hmm. that by the time we had recorded an episode days before the lawsuit was thrown out and uh we had recorded the serial episode days after they announced the new lawsuit or days yeah. days before they announced the new lawsuit we came out slightly ahead of the curve as far as whenever these get announced. I don't think it's big enough to really cover, honestly. And I feel like the more we cover it, the more people hear about Game Vice and the more Game Vice will sue Nintendo. I feel like it's not the journalistic thing to do, but it's it's what I want to do, is just not cover it. So if we we end up seeing, oh, well, we just covered it up, so we don't need to dedicate the whole thing to Game Vice... I'm going to be okay with it, not going to lie. All right, so that's our Powered Up news. Let us know what you guys thought about all those news topics. We talked about a lot, but th- yo, this was definitely the fashion episode, straight up. We got to talk about a lot of clothing brands that are doing some really cool things. But since we're done with the news, I think it's time we bring back a segment that uh, we haven't done in a while, and that's what are we playing? Um I've been playing a few things, but I'm going to start with, I decided to throw back real hard. I have been playing Resident Evil 4 on the Nintendo Switch, and uh, I beat that recently. And I just forgot how much I love that game. It's got terrible controls. Tank controls, baby. Yeah, the controls are terrible, but the game, nonetheless, is still just so good and i love what it did for the resident evil franchise i know a lot of people say this is the death of traditional resident evil this is where the series got really good for me though like leon is also the best uh character in the resident evil franchise oh before we go on any further leon's voice actor died this morning what yeah the voice actor for leon uh died this morning okay well fuck i hadn't heard that yet okay yeah, it caught me like out of nowhere. 
Yeah, Paul Haddad, uh, the original uh, Resident Evil 2 voice actor for Leon uh, Kennedy has died, which that sucks. That really sucks. I know he, I think he did for Resident Evil 2 and 4, and I don't think he reprised the role again after that. Uh, He's done a few animated series. He was Quicksilver in the X-Men animated series. He was Willy. In the free Willy, in the free Willy t- animated TV show, which is a terrible show, by the way, but still, the guy was an accomplished voice actor, and not just you know games, but on TV as well. So yeah, Paul Haddad, uh, that's sad. He's not that old either. I mean, uh, he what did he die of? I don't think they actually said. I know it wasn't Corona related. That much we don't have to. Worry about he? Uh, I think he actually died. Oh, he died during his surgery. Oh, jeez. So yeah. So it's weird. Like I replayed that game, and then a week after I beat it, he dies. It's just crazy. But uh, no, uh, I love the game. It's so good. It's still kind of scary. Like I got jump scared twice playing this game again, and it does it graphically. It didn't age as well as I thought it might have. Uh, and uh, obviously the control scheme isn't my favorite. My favorite version of Resident Evil 4 is the Wii's version with the point controls with the Wii remote control and the uh, the motion of the nunchuck. Plus having that second analog stick on more modern consoles actually hurts Resident Evil 4 because it does very little. And because I've gotten used to games, you know, like Splatoon and Fortnite, where the second analog stick controls your camera, it's actually a hindrance to have an analog stick there. So by far, the Wii is still my favorite. The Wii version is still my favorite iteration of Resident Evil 4. But story-wise, the game is just so campy and fun and scary at the same time. It does it all, and it's it's just a really good game. Uh, I finally beat Luigi's Mansion as well. Uh, I put that game down for a while. Uh, just because I was thinking that I was getting fairly close to beating it. So I, I left it alone, but I went back. After I beat Resident Evil 4, I jumped back into it. And I potentially have a hot take. I think Luigi's Mansion 3 is better than Super Mario Odyssey by a lot. I don't know. I, it was just, I just had so much fun. I love the ending of the game. The ending of the game was just so perfect. I had a tremendous time with the game. Graphically, it looks good. The controls take a little bit of getting used to, especially if you put the game down. You have to relearn the controls, but the game doesn't ever stop being fun. Like, and some of the puzzles, especially like, like some of the hidden stuff, like the gems that are scattered throughout the stage, finding those can be almost painful because they're just hidden so well. But uh, yeah, uh, Next Level Games did a really good job. So much better than... Uh, Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon. Uh, and wh- They took the things that they, they did well from Dark Moon and the things that were done well in the original Luigi's Mansion game, and they made the best version of Luigi's Mansion that they could make. And I am excited to do a replay of that game. I know that this is a game I will revisit just because it was phenomenal. Um, so I, I, ha- I'm having a very similar experience as you right now. So I started the expansion. I got to, I believe it's the eighth floor. I have eight floors left 
Uh, I just finished uh, finding the cat. Well, I finished the level after finding the cat from the movie studio. And like going back through like the plant area. So that's where I am. I think that's eight stages left, I'm pretty sure. Um, but the controls are, are kind of tough at first. Uh, but I do think it is also better than Mario Odyssey. I think you're not alone in that opinion. I, I've also heard from other people that think that's like the <laughs> Switch game right now. Uh, is is we mentioned. So they did a great job. It definitely is said the best of both. They took what was great with the original and they took what they learned in Dark Moon and they they added a lot of nice gameplay elements that just work really well. Like, you know, the whole slam, it feels nice. Uh, I do kind of have an issue with it because the slam does kind of speed combat up a bit too much, but it's great for puzzle solving. You have to slam something away or, uh, you know, it can be helpful if you do need it in certain fights. They do a lot of stuff um, with, like, the gimmicks of a lot of boss fights. Like, in order to get the knight's shield, you have to, you know, yank the shield away. And then you can hit it and stuff. Um, so there's there's a lot of interesting stuff uh, with the mechanics. I do feel like the uh, if you press both buttons in together, shoulder buttons, you do a little jump. That was underutilized. I, I agree with that. I didn't realize... That when you get swarmed with ghosts, that doing the jump from you, it creates so, separate. Okay. It, it it pushes them away. I didn't realize that yeah, until about the space. 12th, okay. yeah until about the twelfth floor, and I was getting hammered by one of those uh the big red ghosts. I can't remember what their names are. Blockheads is what I just call them. Yeah, whatever they're called. I was getting bumped. There was a stage where I got. There were two of them. And then a bunch of like of the itty, itty bitty blue ghosts, and they were wailing on me. And out of frustration, I hit the jump button, and it sent them away. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" You have a get off me move, okay? Yeah, I, I, you should try that. So, uh, yeah, but as far as like puzzle solving is concerned, it is the least utilized uh, function in Luigi's toolbox. And when you consider that his toolbox in this game is pretty limited what i mean you pretty much have your you have your ghost light you have your flashlight you have your jump and you have your plunger you pretty much have an arsenal of four things and those any one of those four things will solve a puzzle but only you know every puzzle does around utilizing one of those four things so your options are limited they didn't utilize it enough i think it really only helps you on the uh 12th floor the Egyptian floor, whatever the floor. yeah. So once you get to the Egyptian floor, that's the only one time that I can remember where it's actually utilized for puzzle purposes, and I pretty much found that out again by accident because I was just getting frustrated with what was happening. Uh, but I think as far as like you can use the suck and blow mechanic to solve puzzles as well, but I feel like both are pretty interchangeable. I'd like to see the blow mechanic be used more as well. Um, but moving on for Luigi's Mansion, sorry. Um, so I I was playing a lot of Animal Crossing. Uh, it's me and Animal Crossing are not in talking terms right now. Uh, I'm going to get like a lot of internet hate for this. Animal Crossing New Horizons is my least favorite Animal Crossing game. And I, I had a hunch it would be. I think it would be the best or the worst. And it definitely is the worst for me. I think it's great for a lot of the hardcore fans that are really into Animal Crossing, but bad for the casuals like myself. It is tedious and annoying, and the nook metals drive me insane, and I just, I need a break. I can't. 
When so, I heard the egg event was pretty um, painful for even the hardcore fans. The egg day event that they were doing. Like, yeah, apparently, I didn't like, much. apparently it conflicted with another event that was going on. And like uh, cherry blossom stuff, yeah. Yeah, the cherry blossom event. And so it was conflicting with your ability to collect the cherry blossoms because everything that would drop would be one of the eggs and Nintendo mm -hmm. fishing would be uh eggs as well, so you couldn't like fish at all. It kind of sucked. But that didn't bug me as much as just the whole gameplay loop they've sort of changed around with all DIY crafting and the duck miles. I hate with a passion. Um but so I'm not playing Animal Crossing anymore. I was, I was streaming on Twitch. I might go back to it in a bit, but for now we're taking a break. Uh, I am currently streaming Tide Testing in Tiger, which just recently got uh, a remaster on the Switch. I I kickstarted kick -started it um, as well, so you can find my name in the credits, which is super cool. If you have a copy, let me know if you see me. I did not pay to get my Koala OC put in the game, but I really regret not doing so. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so... My other time has been Tiger, um, as well as Ori in the World of the Wisps is great. If you have not played either, um, please go check it out. The original is on Switch. It's great. It's on like every platform except for PlayStation at this point. Um, please check it out. It's, it's phenomenal. So um, weird. And well, I mean, it's a Microsoft-owned IP, so it's Xbox and uh, PC. But then they also put it on Switch. And then what else is there? PlayStation. Um, but Will the Wisp is out on Xbox and PC right now, and that's phenomenal. It took everything that was great about the first game, made it so much better. Um, I want my brother play the first game. I think that that's one of the, the game looks gorgeous. It's gorgeous, yeah. It has this very like serene feel, but the the darkness elements of the game can be uh almost terrifying. Yeah, they crank that up a lot in Wolf the Wisp for sure. So it's definitely one of like my shortlist games to play, uh, but I, I just haven't been able to pull the trigger on it quite yet. The original's fairly short romp, uh, and a first-time casual playthrough, you know, less than ten hours. Honestly, um, it's it's a Metroidvania-style uh, platformer, but it's also fairly more narrative-driven than most Metroidvanias, and a bit more linear too. Where it's like they want you to go things in like these kind of order, they want you to find things in this order, and then like the cutscenes will happen. But it still is like a Metroidvania. Um, bash is the best mechanic in any platformer, period. I've said it. You cannot change my mind. Bash is the coolest, best mechanic in any platformer. And, like, if you're not sold on Ori within, like, the first hour, just get to the Ginzo tree. Complete the Ginzo tree. You will be sold. Thank me later. Please. You know, I am... As far as platformers are concerned, I have been looking forward to... Jumping into the ukulele in the Forbidden Machine, I think that's what it's called. Uh, that, Impossible Lair. Impossible Lair, yeah. That game looks... I'm a, I'm kind of a masochist because Donkey Kong Country made me a masochist for platformers. So I enjoy some like the more difficult ones that like tend to break people. Ukulele, so I've beaten it so far. Um, but it the whole game isn't that difficult, except the Impossible Lair is impossible. <laughs> like even after completing everything in the game, having all the Italian, I still just couldn't do it for the longest time. I felt that way about Mega Man Eleven, where it's like the I beat the the Robot Masters fairly easily with that Wily fight. Yeah, when you get to like that last, I don't even. 
Like, I'm it's it's devil. Devil. from the Yellow Devil onwards, it's just hell. It's so brutal. That, that stage is just long for no reason. And it incorporates every single mechanic from the game. Mega Man's life bar is not big enough for that. I, you know, just to see, just to see, I put it on the baby mode to see how difficult it would still be. Even in baby mode, whatever they call their baby mode, it's still fucking hard. And I just put that game down. I was like, no, I'm done. I won't beat this one. Damn. But yeah. Like, or, Ori is one that I, I've been meaning to pick up. I just haven't quite yet done it. It's, it's on my short list. Yeah. And there's not a whole lot coming out for the Switch. So it should pro- I should probably put it in the forefront of my mind. Yeah, if if anyone's out there looking for a quarantine game to play, I have been to Ori. It's not the longest though, but then if you loved it, you got a sequel right there already for you. Um, so yeah. Um, but aside from that, I I've jumped back into Dragon Ball Z Xenoverse just because I always seem to find myself coming back to that game, <laughs> just because I enjoy it, and it's one of those few games that I can be very mindless with. Doesn't take require a whole lot of thinking, um, but I think that's it for what are we playing? I mean, it's nice to actually you know let you guys know what games we're actively enjoying. Uh, unfortunately, though, like the Switch is kind of like in this dry spell right now, where it's like yeah. either you bought Animal Crossing or you didn't, and that's that's the problem. I really wish Nintendo didn't put so much emphasis on Animal Crossing because if you're not an Animal Crossing fan like myself, because that game is boring. I don't care what people say about me. Those games are boring. They're meant to be boring. Exactly. I don't play games to be bored. I don't play games. If I wanted to be bored, I'd sit outside with nothing to do. One more game I've been playing, actually, is a phone game. uh, Card Fight Vanguard Zero. TCG game. Uh, Great. Just came out a few days ago. Uh, I've been familiar with the Vanguard franchise for a while from the anime, but never played the card game. And now I am, and it's like the past week or whatever, how long it's been out, is just been so dedicated to reaching Legend rank. I am right now S rank, and save me. (laughs) So, yeah. But all right, I think it's time to go ahead and wrap up what are we playing, because I wanted to do something we haven't really done before. I want to do recommendations. Now, you can take these as your quarantine recommendations or whatever, but really this is just a reason for me to talk about what this series um, recently I sat down with my fiance and we binged the entire, uh, series of high score girl, uh, which is a Netflix original. It's technically not really a Netflix original. It's just, it's a Netflix original in the sense that like, Hey, we bought this, we bought the broadcast rights from the, you know, Japanese, you know, TV production company that produced this series. And we're the exclusive provider here in the West. But it's a great show. Um, so the premise is it's 1991, uh, set in Japan during the fighting game boom, like right when Street Fighter 2 came out. You have your main character, uh, Haruo. What's his last name? Ha- Haruo Yaguchi. Yeah. Haruo has a severely unhealthy obsession with video games um, to the point where it's actually detrimental to his, not his well-being, but because of it, he's kind of a slacker in school and every other aspect of life (laughs) as far as what it would, you know, what is, you know, 
required of a Japanese youth, specifically in 1991, where it's like go to school, study, get into secondary school or get into middle school, get into secondary school, then go to a college and then become a salaryman, which is still kind of like the norm for like the Japanese culture. But yeah, Haruo is definitely an otaku. He's a video game otaku, and he's he's kind of a dick about it too. Like he has like this sense of entitlement when he's playing. He calls himself the beastly, or in the Japanese version, he calls himself the beastly Haru, uh, Haruo, and in the English dub, he calls himself the godly Haruo. And everything he does in the arcade is to win. He'll employ cheap tactics like guile turtling, uh, because guile is his main, and obviously. Street Fighter is very heavily focused on within this show, but actually pays a lot of homage to just the fighting game boom in general. But Street Fighter definitely gets the most love. And yeah, as a guile main, he is not against like dirty tactics to win because he just wants to win and be the best. Uh, One day when he's at an arcade, somebody is on this amazing win streak in Street Fighter 2. She is just bodying people she's on like a 70 game win streak in uh in a versus mode right so haruo was like oh i'm gonna play her i'm gonna play whoever's this person he gets bodied easily that triggers him when he looks to see who bodied him it's a girl from his school uh her name is akira ono and she is considered you know, the most popular girl in their school. She's perfect. She's her family's rich. She's beautiful. Basically, everything that Haruo will never be. And losing to her really emasculates him and he gets incensed on being her. So he keeps playing against her and he keeps losing. And to the point where he's like, I'm done losing. I'm going to play Guile the way he's meant to be played. So he starts utilizing all of Guile's cheap tactics, like repeat sonic booms so that, you know, Akira can't approach. And by the way, her main is Zangief. So slow needs to be a really, you know, and Zangief is a brawler. He needs a power thrower. He needs to be up close and personal to do his, his, his best moves. So utilizing Guile's dirty tactics, Haruo is able to beat her. The problem is Akira is extraordinarily violent. So when she loses to the cheap tactics, she stands up from the arcade cabinet, walks up to Haruo, and knocks him out. Just punches him dead in the face. And from that moment on, Haruo becomes obsessed with beating her in the game. As the series progresses, though, he learns that her home life, even though everything seems perfect, is a little bit her, – her home life sucks. Not because she's, like, poor or anything, but because, like, of the, the pressures that are placed upon her by her family. She must do this. She must do this. She must do this. And video games become an escape for her. Throughout the course of this series, as the series progresses, these two, they start having a mutual respect for each other as gamers which starts to like bloom into like potential romantic relationship with one another. And then Akira leaves. She's gone. In the time that she's gone, a new girl walks into Haruo's life and her name is Koharu Hidaka. And uh, 
she is not a gamer and she thinks that everything Haruo does is dumb and meaningless. But the passion he displays for video games is something that she learns to respect. So she continues, she watches him play games over and over and over to the point where like she becomes interested in the games because they're interesting to him. And because she's interested in him, she wants to have mutual interest to the point where she eventually has an unhealthy obsession with Haruo to the point where she professes her love for Haruo to the point where it's almost creepy, but it's almost cute in a way because even though like she's obsessed with him, it comes from this place of innocence that like I can love a man who is this dedicated to something. That's how she verbalizes the emotion she has for Haruo. Like, he is this dedicated to something. It's hard to find anyone who has that level of dedication to anything. And she respects that about him. So by the time they enter junior high, Akira comes back from America. And now we have a love triangle. And I know this sounds cheesy because I'm really focusing on like the, the love triangle aspect, but it's more than that. There's this love triangle, but it's told through video games. And the homage that they pay to classic arcade games is just so well done. Like, to the point where, like, there is high-quality captured footage in every episode. And the love story between these three characters is actually really cute and funny. And this is one of the best anime I have ever seen. And I binged the entire two seasons, which is, I think, roughly about 25 four episodes. They did such a good job. And the series ends on this note that left me both extraordinarily happy and dissatisfied at the same time, which is not something I'm actually used to when it comes to anime or anything actually. But yeah, I was in one moment I was, yes, this is what I have been waiting for from this show. But at the same time, it's like, fuck, that's actually the last episode of the series. No. And I, it's, it's hard to describe without going into spoilers. I just have to say that this is definitely binge-worthy material because it's rare that two things that I love so much come together. I, have a, I love anime, right? So much. Dragon Ball Z, My Hero Academia, Naruto, One Piece. I love all types of anime and manga and you know to a point where like they were like my in high school when i stopped playing as much video games manga is where i you know up you know put all that passion that i had for video games i moved it to manga so it's rare that these two worlds really combine with one another one where like the homage that is paid to video games it's it's just so well done I have it's it, I, I I highly recommend this show. It's just it's really good. It's a cute story. It ends it ends on both a high and low note, but I will say that after sitting on it, it is a good ending. It is a very good ending for the series. So, I definitely recommend it. It's got some slick animation. The the series is done in like a 3D art style, but there are times where it does look hand-drawn and they've just done a really good job of blinding the two styles of uh, animation. But where the show really shines is when the characters are actually playing games and you get to see 
classic game footage from some brilliant arcade games like Final Fight, Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter 2, Street Fighter Alpha, Street Fighter Alpha 2. You get to see it all. And then they there's a lot of like weird homage paid to like bad systems like the Neo Geo and the uh, Sega Saturn. There's a lot of like homage paid to those systems where here in the West, we don't really regard, the, regard those systems very highly, but they just did such a good job. Highly recommend it. If you haven't seen it, this is a five-star show. You know what? This is That show gets our Nintendo Power Zone seal of quality. It get, that's how much I recommend this show. It gets our seal of quality. Highly recommend it. I don't want to say anything more. I think you just have to experience this show for yourself. It is so good, and it's not a long series. Every episode is 23, 24 minutes, and it's only 24 episodes. Watch it, especially if you love fighting games. Watch it. And uh, it's definitely one you can watch with your significant other because the love story aspect of it is engaging enough that my fiance fell in love with the show, and we got into literal debates with each other as to which girl Haruo should pick. It turned into like a, a thing where like, he needs to be with this one. She's like, no, he really needs to be with that one. I was like, you're wrong. It turned into like legitimate arguments in, in our house over who Haruo should pick. But yeah, good show. Great to watch as a couple. Have fun with it, especially if you live with your significant other and the only person you can spend any time with is that person. You might as well binge something that is cute for both of you. Any recommendations, by the way, Blues? Um... Not particularly anime related, or not anime, uh, gaming related. Like you, you picked a very nice character, dra- dr- like character drama love story, told through the vector of video games, essentially. Uh, but if I had to pick something to recommend, uh, Black Clover. If you're not watching Black Clover, what are you doing? Uh, I know, I know, Black Clover. It's a lot of crap. From it's people so that generic, it. dude. It's no, so it's not. I love Black so Clover. Black Clover gets so good. It's tropey. It, it gets less tropey later on, but it's still very like tropey. Tropey. This doesn't kill a show. I'm gonna like if you can stand some tropes, it's but it gets so good. I like so, Demon Slayer so much better. Fuck Demon Slayer. I oh. Demon Slayer is so overrated. It's it's a five out of ten easily. Demon Slayer oh, is garbage. <laughs> I, I'm gonna get so flamed with this, but Demon Slayer has. The weakest characters in any like action show I've seen recently. Oh, you're gonna get Black Clover. Burn, dude. There is no personality in any of those characters. Inosuke has like the most, and it's still just the bare minimum. There's no character development. Meanwhile, Black Clover's out here giving every single character its own time to just grow as a person, and that character growth is directly tied into the combat systems when they grow as people. They they level up their magic and it's great, um, but like so Tanjiro's entire personality in Demon Slayer is he's a good hardworking boy, he has a good sense of smell, he's very like kind and generous, and that's his entire personality. He never grows. Nezuko's entire personality is she's Tanjiro's sister. She's also a demon, half demon. I mean, does it matter? Kinda. She hasn't eaten anybody yet. But, as, far, as far as I am at. I mean, but the point is that that's not a personality trait. <laughs> it's not a personality trait. She can't receive any growth. She's just there to look cute, and it pisses me off. She has no personality whatsoever. 
uh, uh, what's his face? Lightning, Lightning Boy, Zenitsu. Yeah, Zenitsu. People give Asta shit for for screaming all the time. Zenitsu is thirteen times worse than Asta screaming. It it is so bad. I I've watched two hundred episodes of Black Clover, right? I've gotten through all the screaming. It gets better later on. The early parts are definitely where the screaming is the worst. But Zenitsu, I couldn't stand one episode. I, I turned it off like after his third sentence. I just, I couldn't, I was done. Uh, and then I eventually, like months later, started up again. Tough through. It was not good. Zenitsu was far worse than Asta. He sucks. Um, but his entire personality is, I, I'm scared. I don't. I can't handle this. Don't leave me alone. Oh, look, cute girl. Let me ask her to marry me. <laughs> it, there's no personality in any of these. There's no character development. All of the villains fucking suck. Pretty visuals and fluid animation is not enough to make a show good. I'm sorry. I had to get that off my chest. Demon Slayer is not a good anime. It, it's very pretty, but it's not a good show. Um, <laughs> but watch Black Clover. People... people about Demon Slayer, Black Clover is so much better. It, it has a lot of animation glitches. Asta's annoying. But if you're watching Demon Slayer, you can watch Black Clover. If you have a quarantine, you can you can at least get to like I think it's the, the second arc, I want to say. The arc after the dungeon arc is where if you're not like at least dedicated to start watching by the that arc, it's Yami versus the organization, which I will not spoil the name of. I will just give you initials EMS. Uh, Yami versus them, it kind of hooked after that fight. You can drop it. But if you keep going, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. It's it's the perfect it's over there's just over 200 episodes right now. We just finished sort of the first main antagonist, you know, part. Uh so that antagonist is done where we got a new thing. It's a great time to get in the series. You got a lot of content to watch. So Black Clover, please watch it. Right. If you're not watching it, embracing Demon Slayer, I don't know what you're doing. All right, true that. Uh, I don't really have any other recommendations right now as far as uh, what I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, Dr. Stone has been pretty good. Dr. Stone is great. Um, I cannot wait for the next season. The artwork from Boichi is just so clean. Uh, and I believe Boichi is the first South Korean manga artist to be published in Shonen Jump. Um just great artwork and the series, the animated, the se- the series just does such a good job of bringing his art to life. That's not as clean as not as defined as his manga art, but for the most part, it is pretty reflective of what you see in the manga. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're that person who tries to like find you know, the anime reaction pictures, it's got a lot of just hilarious anime reaction pictures. In. Oh yeah. That's true. Definitely got like that meme worthy style with the way they draw mm-hmm. like character reactions. Uh, the only other thing I want to recommend is, guys, watch the uh, Wave 2 series of unboxing videos that I've done for the Pokemon Pops. They are a lot of fun, and we've done some cool new stuff with unboxing videos to make them a little bit more engaging. Uh, but aside from that, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap this episode up. It's been a lot of fun. We've talked about some cool stuff, and I finally got to talk about High Score Girl because if I didn't talk about it to you guys, it was going to drive me crazy but i just because it's not specifically nintendo related i couldn't figure a workaround for it this is how i did it we're doing we're gonna do we're gonna add recommendations to the show just so i can talk about high score girl go freaking watch it 
Anyway, guys, we're going to go ahead. We're going to get out of your hair. But before we do, we got to hit you up with the social media links. You can hit me up on Twitter at nice1983. You can email me at nice1983 at gmail.com. You can hit me up on Facebook, facebook.com slash Nintendo Power Zone. If you're a fan of the Nintendo Power Zone podcast, you can always download new episodes on iTunes, Google Play Music, stream episodes on Spotify and Stitcher Radio. But if you can watch the video version of the podcast like you're doing right now, you got to check us out right here on YouTube youtube.com slash nintendo power zone blues go ahead and hit them up with the social media links yeah so uh once you finish black clover and you're ready to thank me you can do so at my twitter at vking blues b-l-o-o-z uh, as all or at, at vking blues blues as always spelled b-l-o-o-z um you can catch me in a live stream with maybe tide test being tiger uh, some Ori, uh, Mario Kart, ARMS, etc. Maybe the Animal Crossing again, I don't know. Um, you can tell me in the chat, you know, oh, you know, Black, Black Clover is great, but, you know, Demon Slayer is, it's got this, this, and this, and I'll say no. <laughs> it doesn't, but Black Clover is still great. Um, so, yeah, if you, if you want uh, to catch me, those will do it, for sure. Well, you heard him right now, guys. Catch him outside. Blues has just become the new Catch Me Outside, girl. <laughs> All oh, right. no. I hope I have more brain cells than that. Let's end the episode. Anyway, guys, thank you so very much for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Um, and we'll be back in two weeks. So until next time, stay fresh. Deuces. <laughs>